Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. Last week I posted the second talk in this series. Due to an editing error, I gave it the same title as the first talk. The title should be From Understanding to Concentration. As a result, I suspect some of you might not have listened to it. Please go back and do so when you get a chance. Let me return to what mindfulness, sati in Pali, means. It means memory, but mostly in the sense of withdrawing from memory rather than depositing in memory. So recollection is probably a better translation. But this is actually what we're doing when we say we are mindful. If I have something with milk heating on the stove, I need to recollect that I am supposed to turn the heat down before it boils. I am mindful to turn the heat down. It's clear that sati means recollection in Pali, but many scholars and teachers also think it has a second meaning, having to do with a meditative state. Certainly words take on secondary meanings, but I don't think it's necessary to assume this for sati. What's important is that we understand the context in which sati becomes important in Buddhism. Now, I can also recollect that Columbus sailed the ocean blue and discovered America in 1492, but that is also sati, at least I think it is. But that is probably a useless fact in the present circumstances. In Buddhism, we are primarily interested in bringing memory to bear in a way that's relevant to the present situation. Why? Because Buddhism is a practice tradition, just like cooking is a practice tradition. So we demand of sati that it recollect the right thing at the right time. Let me give an example. Buddhist monks and nuns still go on alms around in many parts of Asia. I've done this myself in Myanmar and even a bit in the U.S. People often note how mindful the monks are. Actually, you can't see mindfulness, it's mental. What they actually see is how upright they are, very precise and uniform in their behavior. They walk in line, evenly spaced, properly dressed, with the upper robe over both shoulders, the robes even all around, barefoot, eyes lowered, not looking around, not swinging their arms around, not skipping or tiptoeing, and not talking. When people offer food, the monks lift the lid of their bowl to receive it, saying nothing. They keep their eyes directed toward the bowl rather than looking up at the donor, and then they quietly replace the lid and move on. It's quite an elegant process. What underlies this practice is a large set of rules of etiquette listed in the monastic code that the monks keep firmly in mind. These rules go back to the Buddha. These rules are quickly internalized by the new monk. That is, monks 
after a while are barely aware that they're following discrete rules, but do the right thing at the right time. Nonetheless, this process is a matter of recollection meeting the present moment precisely. Recollection has a different quality if we're taking a history test than if we're driving our car. In either case, we must remember what is important at the right time, but the history test is leisurely in comparison. Driving a car brings all of our relevant skill and knowledge to bear moment by moment in an evolving present situation. At least we hope it does. All recollection involves responding to cues. The point is that a practice situation, whether cooking, cutting a diamond, shooting a deer, walking on alms round, following precepts to avoid harming others, or sitting on the cushion meditating, requires rather precise attention to the present situation. When that attention slips, our practice is degraded or becomes something other than practice. Mindfulness is attentive or attends to the present situation when what it brings to mind is used to discern some particular aspect of the present situation. Mindfulness is generally attentive in Buddhism simply because Buddhism is fundamentally about exercising a skill in real practice situations. It brings to bear our standards and values or dharmic knowledge and our skills that we have learned into the current practice situation. When all of these are consistent with dharma, this is right mindfulness. In one discourse, the Buddha describes an occasion in which a large crowd of people assembles to witness the most beautiful girl of the land dance and sing. A man shows up who is given to his chagrin the instruction, You must carry around this bowl of oil filled to the brim between the crowd and the most beautiful girl of the land. A man with a drawn sword will be following right behind you, and wherever you spill even a little of it, right there he will fell your head. The man must recollect moment by moment the consequence of spilling a drop of oil. One moment of forgetfulness can be fatal. This passage also introduces the primary enemy of mindfulness and the primary friend of forgetfulness, distraction, here in the form of the dance and song of the most beautiful girl of the land. The Buddha then admonishes his monks to practice mindfulness directed to the body in just this way. If the Dharma is a cookbook, then recollection as a factor in Buddhist practice must at any point be turned to the right page, for instance, to how to flambe. Recollection must be attentive in order to bring to mind what is specifically relevant in the present context. Mindfulness in Buddhism is, simply put, where dharma hits the road of practice. For example, mindfulness might act as the gatekeeper when the impulse arises to assault a living being, for instance, a cockroach, such that the first of the five precepts is called to mind to provide guidance in the current situation. 
WAP is unskillful. We will see that as we develop our skill, much of what we are mindful of may be implications of Dharma that we discover for ourselves in our experience. Modern literature often describes mindfulness as being in the present moment, even though mindfulness recollects the past. Where does this sense of being in the present come from? First, we are always in the present. Where else would we be? But the present is suspended between past and future. Any task we perform there is potentially guided by either past or future concerns, or both. The path concerns communicated through mindfulness are typically the learned values, standards, and techniques that define the how of the present task. The future concerns have to do with what we intend to accomplish or to avoid, which define the why of the task. Future concerns generally take the form of self-concern striving in response to fears and desires, scrambling after a better future for ourselves. Future concerns are generally about me and mine, while mindfulness upholds, striving contrives. Notice how striving is oriented toward craving, self-centeredness, suffering, and therefore samsara. Mindfulness is oriented away from it. Typically, our attention is divided between the how and the why. Either that or, perhaps even more typical, it's in a fog of knowing neither how nor why. Channel surfing, binge eating, or watching reruns on TV. Leaning our attention toward mindfulness or towards striving makes a big difference in our behavior and how the task at hand feels to us. If we shift our attention from the why to the how, from future concerns to mindfulness, something surprising happens. We inhabit the task as something satisfying in pursuing well, rather than utilizing the task for some purpose outside of the task itself. As we live in mindfulness, me tends to get lost in the task at hand. For instance, if our action is washing dishes, mindfulness brings to mind an array of knowledge and experience about which implement to scrub with, about how much detergent to use, about how much force to exert, about how hot the water should be, and so on. Without mindfulness, our future concerns might induce us to hurry through the job so that we can have some real fun or to look forward to the praise we will receive for having washed the dishes. Thich Nhat Hanh tells us that it is best if we wash the dishes in order to wash the dishes rather than in order to have clean dishes. This makes washing the dishes more an act of devotion rather than a utilitarian act. In washing in order to wash, mindfulness rather than striving becomes the guide. Similarly, a sales employee named Bob in a clothing store can be mindful of the inventory, color schemes, current fashions, etc., but also intent on getting a commission for a successful sale and worried about doing something that will get him fired. When Bob is worried about being fired or anxious for a bonus, 
He has, in his striving, been known to cut corners and lie a little to the customer, sometimes overcharge. But with mindfulness training, Bob is more likely to be diligent, upright, and honest in his approach to his job. He might still get fired, but it actually is more likely for his boss admiring his greater competence and the acclaim of customers to give him a raise. Notice that in this discussion, mindfulness is still just recollection. It's just that we can choose to recollect a lot or not, to recollect in detail or not, to keep our attention on what we recollect, or to put it elsewhere, into distractions or into striving. In particular, mindfulness is not a state of mind. Rather, it is something we do and do actively. We recall. But mindfulness tends to evoke a state of mind as we allow it to be the primary guide of our behavior. Last week, I quoted the Buddha in this regard. For one of right mindfulness, right concentration springs up. Right concentration is a state of mind. But before right concentration springs up, rapture and tranquility spring up. Recall last week I talked about the causal series. Rapture gives rise to tranquility. Tranquility gives rise to concentration that arises spontaneously in a variety of contexts, that is, without volition, most famously in the context of mindful observation, as described in the seven factors of awakening. Concentration is not something we do. It is something that arrives on its own. I dare say mindfulness always underlies concentration, That bright, calm, clear-headedness one experiences with mindful behavior, that's concentration, or the onset of concentration. Mindfulness is a routine function of mind, but when cultivated and highlighted, it becomes extremely powerful on multiple levels. In Buddhism, we train to cultivate detailed, attentive, and persistent forms of mindfulness. A diamond cutter can become quite mindful, marshalling the knowledge, skills, and techniques learned through years of experience with full attention to the present situation as he makes the critical cut. A basketball player may bring mindfulness to a critical focus for that winning shot, but for them, that kind of focus is only momentary. Can they sustain that for an hour or two? as we learn to do on the cushion. The application of mindfulness depends on a number of conditions. One is non-distractedness. Even more obvious is having something to be mindful of. If we have no values, standards, knowledge, or skills, we have nothing to recollect. We tend to be rather mindless, perhaps uniquely mindless, as a society. First, we tend to be addicted to a distraction and multitasking. Second, we're weak in values and standards, and often also in skills. Developing the skill of mindfulness is a challenge for most modern Buddhists. Many of our values and standards in particular come from culture and religious traditions, and we tend to criticize these in others 
as being relative and arbitrary. Cultural or religious behavior is often regarded as empty ritual. We have to learn to stop thinking this way. Relative and arbitrary or not, adopting values and standards and incorporating ritual into our lives is extremely valuable in developing mindfulness and thereby in keeping us from falling into striving and distraction. Right mindfulness needs a lot of help. This comes primarily from right effort, the prior factor on the Noble Eightfold Path. In fact, the two are closely intertwined, each helping the other. Effort is endeavoring to achieve or develop what is skillful and to avoiding or to get rid of what is not skillful according to the standards that one brings to mind. For instance, an angry impulse arises to thrash someone severely with one's umbrella. Mindfulness arises with the recognition that this would violate the first precept, as it would constitute an unwholesome assault on a living being. Effort accordingly resists this impulse perhaps by replacing the anger with a kind thought or simply by loosening one's grip from the umbrella until a cooler head manifests. We can think of recollection as a thermostat and effort as the electric heater that the thermostat controls. Mindfulness monitors attends to the room temperature to notice when the temperature drops below or rises above a certain threshold, a standard that it bears in mind. Effort kicks in accordingly either to start heating or stop heating. Likewise, mindfulness monitors the miso soup on the stove, bringing to mind the wisdom that miso soup should not be allowed to come to a boil. Effort turns off the stove at the critical moment identified by mindfulness, and lifts the lid off the pot. The word right in each step of the Noble Eightfold Path is normative, roughly synonymous with skillful. We keep our actions skillful through understanding what is skillful and unskillful, and through being attentively mindful of that understanding, and through exerting effort to move away from the unskillful and toward the skillful in our actions. The Buddha said, Right understanding is the forerunner. And how is right understanding the forerunner? One discerns wrong action as wrong action and right action as right action. One tries to abandon wrong action and to enter into right action. This is one's right effort. One remembers to abandon wrong action, and enter and remain in right action. This is one's right mindfulness. Thus, these three qualities, right understanding, right effort, and right recollection, run and circle around right action. This passage circles around right action, but it is stated verbatim for each of right understanding, right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. This is simply the process we've been looking at whereby right mindfulness monitors the present situation, like a thermostat, with the relevant aspects of right understanding in mind, 
and then right effort kicks in to produce a skillful result. We'll stop here for now. Next week, I intend to zero in on the practice of satipatthana or mindful observation. <laughs> 